I'm assuming my mic's on. We good? Good? Can you hear me? All right. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Okay. All right. Good morning, church family. Let's turn in our uh, Bibles to Psalm 96. Psalm 96. Uh, while you're doing that, a couple things I want to, to mention. Um, uh, first, at the last minute, I decided to put, since we're going through a going to go through a number of scriptures this morning. I did put them in a, a PowerPoint, but if I didn't edit that just perfectly, please uh, forgive me. I decided that at the last minute and I uh, got it to the guys upstairs at the last minute. So, but hopefully that will be a, a help. I don't have them all, but we are going to, to travel through a lot of scripture this morning looking at this topic. And uh, we'll start out this morning in Psalm 96. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity, the blessing, the, the privilege to be under the teaching of your word this morning. Uh, because in, in all of, of our flaws in teaching it and in understanding at times, it is flawless. Your word is what we base our church on, base our families on, base our lives on. And Father, it is what makes the difference in our life. It is what points us to the living word, Jesus, your son. We thank you for this holy word, for this life-giving word and truth that you have given to us. Thank you for letting us hear it this morning. And please, by your spirit and for your glory, allow us to be changed by it this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs> I, uh, I stood, I can't remember if I've told you this uh, story before, I, I stood in my, my dorm room in Dallas, Texas on September 11th, 2001, just a few hours after um, terrorists attacked the World Trade Center uh, towers and the U.S. Pentagon, and thousands of people were um, killed. And this was a, a thing that has redefined um, America in many ways over the last couple of decades. And uh, what is important for this sermon today is a conversation that I had with uh, my roommate at the time, who um, was kind of in this atheistic, agnostic phase where he didn't really um, believe in God, and, and so me being the... Uh, he, he knew I was a Baptist, so he thought I was a cult member, and uh, I had to, you know, kind of calm him down on that when we first met, uh, but after a while, he began to, to ask me different things, and, and on this occasion, uh, his, his anger really came out, and he said, if, if a God exists, how could he let something like this happen? And uh, at the time, I didn't really know how to go in and, and discern that, and and bring out everything that I needed to to be able to respond to him. I just did the best that I could, and I, I felt like I had some, some good things to say, but I didn't really, I didn't really nail it. Um, but what I realized later, and what I should have capitalized on, what was interesting is that in that moment, um, this young man who was um, dealing with a belief in God, not believing in God, at that moment had a, had a gut reaction uh, to something that was that was tragic, and he called it evil. He he knew in his gut and in his conscience that the innocent taking of of lives of of mothers and fathers and children and 
and grandparents and, and hardworking Americans and, and innocent wives. He knew this was wrong, and he felt in his soul that it was evil and shouldn't be happening. And if I had known better at the time, I would have, I would have helped him see that you can't feel that way unless there actually is something called evil. And you can't actually have something that's really called evil unless you really have something that's called good. And you can't really have anything that's good if you don't have God. Amen? It is God who defines those things. If you get rid of God, all you have are opinions. And you don't have anything that's concrete and objective. But he was having a gut reaction to this thing that we call evil. And to be honest, you and I, we have this reaction as well. There are things that happen in our lives personally, at work, in our state, in our nation, around the world, things that happen, and, and we point it out and we say, that's evil and I've got a problem with it. Why is that happening? And sometimes it's very difficult, even for Christians, uh, to handle. How do we answer this problem of evil? How can we explain an all-wise and loving God allowing the sin and evil that we see in this world to exist. And this morning we're going to take a look at something that, that solves a lot of these problems and fixes a lot of these issues for the Christian, and that is the judgment of God. The judgment of God. Let's read together Psalm 96, 7 through 13. I do believe this one's on the board. It might be kind of small, but you can hopefully you turn there. The psalmist writes, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established and it will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the, let the sea roar in all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy because, uh, before the Lord, for He is coming. For He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. When we look at the idea of judgment, there's a lot of words that go with that. Judgment, judging, trial, verdict, sentence, condemnation, punishment. And sometimes we get these words jumbled up, but, but sometimes they have broad meaning and sometimes they refer specifically to an act, to, to part of a process. And it's important to know some of their differences and the context, especially in the Bible, that these words are used. Judging in the Bible frequently means evaluating. It means to see if something is true or not, right or not, evil or good. And it can include a, a sentence of punishment, or it can include reward. What happens as the result of the behavior? And so at times it can refer to the entire process, including even the execution of the sentence. Think of the time period of the judges. These judges actually would execute their enemies. Think of Samson executing the Philistines. He judged them. And so the word judge there has reference to actually carrying out the, the judgment, the sentence. And you can think of Gideon and other judges. Three truths from the Scriptures that, that I want us to, to hone in on this morning. Three things that I ask you to know and to keep in your mind this morning. The first thing 
is that a day of judgment is coming for this world. A day of judgment is coming. And it is coming for every person. When I, um, when I talk with people, um, I, uh, I frequently talk in town, different areas, with people who would agree with me that there, there is a heaven and a hell. But it's almost like they gloss over the fact that there's a judgment. And what ends up happening is they end up being their own judge. And they determine whether they're going to go to hell or not. They don't really leave that up to God. Well, you know, I'm, of course I'm going to go to this place or that place. This judgment will, be, will determine the destination, though. You don't get to determine that. This judgment will determine the destination of whether it will be eternal heaven or eternal hell. Matthew 25, 46. And by the way, I, I didn't mean that you don't get to determine it. You do have it. We'll get to that later. Just hold on. Matthew 25, 46. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There are two destinations in this judgment. Eternal hell, punishment, or eternal heaven and reward. There's a lot of details that get debated, and, and many of them rightly so, about this coming judgment. When's it going to happen? Is this two separate judgment events? Judgment seat of Christ, great white throne of judgment, one for believers, one for unbelievers. How long will it take? Will it be a literal 24-hour day? I, I don't know about that. I think it begins on a day, but you think about how long is it going to take to put every human being on trial? That'd be a lot to get through in a day. Billions and billions of people. But the point that we're looking at this morning is that there is coming a time where everyone's lives will be judged. Whatever the process is going to look like, the simple truth of the matter is, there's going to be a time of judgment where every single person is going to be tried, judged. Hebrews 9, 27. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 25 in his Olivet Discourse, his, his sermon about the end times to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. He said this, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another. As the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will say also to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So there is a day of judgment coming where destinations will be handed out by God. The second truth is what, what is the substance of this judgment? What is going to be judged? The deeds of men will be judged. The deeds of men will be judged. Well, what do we mean by the deeds of men? Let's look at some scripture here. Revelation 20, beginning in uh, chapter 4, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne, and one seated on it, earth and heaven, fled from his presence and no place was found for them. 
I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Books. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Your life has been written in a book. Your deeds, my deeds, have been written in heaven. Verse 13, Then the sea gave up its dead, death and Hades gave up their dead. All were judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. And so what we see here is we see there are books of works whereby people will be judged. Their deeds are in these books. They will be put on trial. And their deeds will be assessed and evaluated. And then it says, if anyone's book is not found written in this other book, this book of life, then that person is thrown into the lake of fire. So what's that all about? Matthew 16, 27. The Son of Man is going to come in His glory, in the glory of His Father with His angels, and will then repay every man according to his deeds. So what do our deeds consist of? Answer, everything. How we live this life matters how we live this life matters jesus mentions the judgment of even our words in matthew 12 he said i tell you that on that day of judgment people will have to account for every careless word they speak for by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned oh woe is me I know somebody out there has got to be saying amen internally as I am. Judged by our words. Every careless word we speak will be judged. The Apostle Paul goes even into our motives and says that our motives will be judged. Look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Disclose the motives of men's hearts. Wow. And from the final words in the Bible, all that we have done is mentioned. God knows. God is keeping record. Revelation 22, Look, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to repay each person according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Does it concern you that your deeds will be judged by God? What a despairing thought this can be. What a despairing thought. If this were all there was for us, how despairing this should be, and what a motivation it should be for us, regardless of how we live our lives. I, I, I mentioned that I, I, I speak with, with different sorts of people. I, I talk with teenagers a lot. Uh, I talk with adults a lot. And one of the common things that I see is that people frequently believe that they're going to be judged by comparison to others. They may not come out and say that, but it typically goes something like this. You know, do you think that you will go to heaven or to hell? Well, I think I'll go to heaven. I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I've never really you know, done what other people have done, never killed anybody. I don't, you know, I don't lie a whole lot. I love my family. I you know, try to work hard. You know, I've never done anything really bad. 
And the more and more you talk to them, they're judging. They think they're going to be judged by comparison to other people. And they're looking at these really bad people. And they're saying, well, I'm not like that, so I'm okay. But the Bible never tells us that that is what we are compared to. In fact, the Bible says that we will be compared to God and His holiness and His holy commands and His law. And the Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of this God. Who will be able to stand on that day? Who will be able to look God in the eye and say, I'm okay, I'm righteous, I'm okay. Psalm 24, the psalmist said this, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in His holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Friend, is that you? It's not me. My hands are dirty. I am like Uzzah, who reached out to touch the ark to keep it from hitting the dirt and was struck dead because he forgot that it's not the dirt that defiles the ark. It is human sin that should never touch the ark. It is human sin that is unholy, not the dirt that God made. None of us can stand. There is no, not one, none of us are righteous but there is one. There is one who can stand before the Lord. And that person is Jesus Christ. And it brings us to the third truth that we want to look at this morning. There will be a day of judgment. Our deeds will be judged. And the judge will be Jesus Christ. Now, there are many passages in the Gospels where Jesus says that he does not judge. We're going through a study of John right now. And in John 3, Jesus said, For God did not send His Son into the world that He might judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. In John 12, He said, If anyone hears My words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. But we'll see in that same book, He will say the opposite. He will talk about His judgment. We'll see that in John 5 coming up. He will talk about how He came to judge. And one of the things that we need to understand is that context again, that in some instances Jesus is talking about His first coming, which was a mission of salvation and rescue, and in other situations He is talking about His second coming, which will be a mission of judgment. Acts 17, the Apostle Paul is preaching to the Greeks, and he says this, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because He has set a day on which He is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man He has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising Him from the dead. All three persons of the Trinity will be involved in this judgment on Judgment Day. Their judgment will be perfectly united. Remember, Jesus said, I don't do anything apart from the Father. I speak what, what He tells me to speak. I, I, I judge the way that He wants me to judge. And, and so their, their wills are united in that perfect relationship. But the Scriptures tell us that the Father has put forward the Son in the judgment as the one He has appointed to actually carry out the judgment 
to execute the process of judgment. Why? Why is Jesus Christ the judge? It's because he is the perfect man. He has authority to judge because he has kept God's laws perfectly. He understands what it is to live an obedient human life, and there is no one more fit to judge than he. John chapter 5. I assure you an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Those who hear will live, for just as the Father has life in himself, so also he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and he has granted him the right to pass judgment because he is the Son of Man. Not the Son of God here, but the Son of Man. And so it's emphasizing his humanity. Friends, we live in a world where people don't want to be judged. Okay? You and I don't want to be judged, right? It's a tough thing to have. And you have people who are completely unfamiliar with the Bible and church, but, but they can quote that little portion, judge not. I'm taking it completely out of context, but they know that part. Uh, it's amazing how we still have remnants of Scripture that are floating around, even in the, the, the most lost places of our, of our culture and land. But it's getting to the, to the point now where it's, it's not that people are just saying, well, you can't judge me. But, but I was in a store the other day and I, and I saw a man walk in with a ball cap on that said, even God can't judge me. And friends, the problem with that is the blinding glory of the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ, the God-man that screams to us, that shouts to us, yes, I can, and I will. I will be the judge. I am the judge. And you will be judged by my perfection, by my perfect life. It was John the, the Baptist who first told us that it was Jesus who would, be, who would be doing this. He said, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It's always shocked me how the, the devil in the cartoons gets the fork. But really, John says it's Jesus who has the fork. And what he is doing is he's winnowing. He, he's, he's, uh, what they would do is they would get the, the wheat and they would toss it up. And the useless parts would fly away and the good parts would fall. And so it was Jesus who is separating. That, that idea, that illustration is of Jesus separating the worthless from the worthy. And so John speaks of this baptism of fire, which is not a good thing. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 2, he said, On that day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Who is me? Jesus. Not the Father here, but Jesus. Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is a very different concept from what we see in this present world. We see Jesus as a cartoonish figure. We see people who take Jesus Christ lightly, mock Him, ridicule Him, portray Him as some kind of floating fairy figure. He's the nice guy. And honestly, we have helped contribute to this because we're so afraid sometimes of offending or appearing to be mean towards somebody that we have, we have, de- we have we've taken the authority, we've taken His authority out of this gospel by failing to, to let people recognize and see the danger that is Jesus Christ. That Jesus is their problem. And that is precisely why He has to be their solution. If He is their problem, only He can be their answer. We see musicians and movie stars wearing crosses and tattoos that speak of Jesus, and there is zero fear in their hearts and minds of Him. And I wonder, how much do we have in our own lives? We would do well to dwell on passages like Revelation 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, He judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and on His head were many crowns. His authority. He has a name written that no one knows except Himself. He wore a robe stained with blood, and His name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed Him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. From His mouth came a sharp sword, so that with it He might strike the nations. Where is the nice Jesus here? He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty and on His robe and on His thigh. He has a name written. Not nice guy, but King of kings and Lord of lords. We do well also to see the, to gravi- and to, he- to hear the gravity of what the author of Hebrews said in chapter 10, for we know the one who has said vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge His people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. A judgment day is coming. The deeds of men will be judged. And Jesus Christ will be that judge. Now, what do we do with all of this? Three things. Number one, as Christians, here's our hope. As Christians, we rejoice that Jesus is the judge because He is also our Savior. See, a judge is not merely there to punish. A judge can reward. A judge can bless. An obvious example for our church is some of these situations where we've seen the adoption of children And the judges have been so happy and so joyful to give these children new homes. And it's it's been an attitude where you're in a a courtroom where where bad things happen sometimes, and yet you're here and the judge is, is rewarding and is granting and there is blessing and there is joy. And Christians, we get to see this side of the judgment of Christ. 
Romans 8, verse 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because though our deeds don't earn us favor with God and have earned us death, we have something else in our lives. We have the righteousness of Christ. We recognize that that it's not religion that gets us to heaven. It's not our goodness that gets us to heaven. It's not our deeds that get us to heaven. All of those things just doom us. But Jesus Christ, the judge, the one who would one day sit on, on the throne, on his throne and judge the nations, it was that same Christ who went to a wooden, a wooden cross and was crucified by Romans, betrayed by Jews, forsaken by his Father, so that he could die in your place and my place. So that you would not have to suffer the punishment for your deeds. But you could have the life of Christ. The life that He has earned for you. And you could be adopted as God's child. The Bible says that all who trust in what Christ did on that cross. Who trust Him to be their substitute. And to be their Savior. That they can have that freedom as well that they can appear before the judge, and they will not hear, depart from me, but they will hear, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. And so we rejoice that the judge can reward. But it's not just eternal life that he rewards. He rewards us with adoption, as I mentioned. He rewards us with an inheritance. He uh, rewards us with reigning with Christ in his new kingdom and with joy and life. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy said, In the future there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. In 1 Peter verse one, or chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, I love this passage. It, it should be up there. Blessed be the God and Father, Peter writes, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so we should have an excitement that Jesus Christ, our Savior, is going to be the judge. And as humans who care about evil and who care about sin and suffering in this world, who are often personally affected by evil in this world, as I mentioned at the beginning of the the sermon, there can be no greater relief, no greater comfort, no greater solace than knowing that Jesus Christ is going to judge it all. And make it all right. Every evil, every suffering, every difficult thing that you've been through, every sin that you've committed or that has been committed against you or that somebody's committed against somebody, Jesus Christ is going to balance the scales. He's going to make the restitutions that are needed. He's going to, to straighten out what was crooked and it will all be made right. There's nothing that's wasted. There's nothing that's pointless. Jesus is the perfect judge. And when we look at a world that is aborting children and, and divorce culture that's out of control and, and, and all kinds of sexual perversions and all kinds of violence all over the different nations and all kinds of sicknesses and cancers and nothing good that's permanent in this world and we look at all of this evil to know that there is someone 
who has power and authority over it all, and that one day the evil will be no more and only goodness will be left is a tremendous comfort and value and encouragement for the Christian. I'll mention also that this gives us the ability to forgive. The reason we can forgive others is because Jesus has got that. We don't excuse sin. We don't, take, we don't not take measures to, to try to fight against sin or injustice, different things like that. But we know that we don't have to harbor unforgiveness in our hearts because vengeance is His. He will repay. And a final application has to do with evangelism. The Apostle Paul in Acts 24 Telling of his story, Luke says this, After some days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and listened to him on the subject of faith in Christ Jesus. So you have a a person who is in authority, calling Paul who's in prison, wanting to hear him out on his Christian things. Now as Paul spoke about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became afraid and replied, Leave for now, but when I find time, I'll call for you. The Apostle Paul, part of what he shared was about this judgment to come. It also says in Acts that he commanded us to preach to the people and to solemnly testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. Brothers and sisters, I want to make this point. This, this, is, this is my final point this morning, and I'm preaching it to myself just as much as I'm preaching it to you. And I pray that God, I pray God would allow us to, to grow passionately and aggressively in this area. If we believe what we say we believe, that there's a day of judgment coming, that all people are going to be judged for their sin, and that Jesus is that judge, and that they're in trouble with that judge, and in danger from that judge, unless they seek the forgiveness and salvation from that judge. If we really believe the things that we say we believe, and hear, we must speak. We must Speak. If we don't speak, we are saying we don't believe, or we're saying something else is more important, which is the same thing. And I'm guilty of it, just like most of you. And you might say, well, that's not my calling. Yes, it is. When the building is burning, you tell people to get out. When the building's burning, you tell people to give out if you to get out if you love people. And if outside of the burning building there is joy and forgiveness and love and relationship with God and, and, and eternal blessings and inheritance and reigning with Christ, if there's so much joy, if you love people and you fail to tell them to go out, what are you saying? And if you love Jesus Christ and you want to see people honor him and adore him and worship him, then you must speak also of the situation and the solution. We at Wyatt, one of our core values 
goes along right with this. It is the urgency of global gospel missions. You and I have a responsibility. You may say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, find somebody that does. Take baby steps. Take huge steps. But start to speak. Speak at your school. Speak to your children. Speak to your coworkers. Start conversations looking, looking to speak these things because you know what? You may not get another chance. That coworker may quit and move off. That friend may, may get cancer or may, may die in an accident. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Something could happen to you. And so if we believe these things, if we believe that there's a day of judgment coming, that men's deeds will be judged and that Jesus is the judge, we need to speak about it and give people the full message of the gospel of hope. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Father, I pray you would give the people in this room opportunities to speak life into the culture around them, to speak life into those who are around them who have no hope of eternal life. Help us to be heralds of the open and free gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that many will be saved, and we pray that you will be glorified and worshipped as the righteous judge and the eternal king. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.